deacon or a pastor come and pray over us as we get ready to share God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we are just humbled by the, the things that you have called us to do for your kingdom. And we just thank you for, for Melissa and for Marcelo as they are, are hearing your call and stepping out to minister to children and minister to uh, Hispanic-speaking people in our church family. And pray, Lord, that you help us to remember that it's, it's all your family, Lord. Yeah, and that uh, uh, pray that your blessing on these two who will be leading in the next uh, 30 minutes to 45 minutes. Pray that you would just uh, empower them, Lord, to uh, do the ministry you've called them to. Uh, uh, and your leadership and your guidance and your power, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are heading out to Children's Church, fourth grade and under, and also uh, for our Spanish preaching service in the youth room. So we'll go ahead and head that way now. You know, there's a time in a church whenever half the sanctuary getting emptied would just make you sad, but whenever it's after children's church is dismissed, it sure does make you happy, doesn't it? That's so great. Not because the kids are leaving, uh, just because they're here. So this week uh, will be our second session in uh, the series that we're doing, I Am a Church Member. For those that weren't here last week or our guest, uh, we're doing something that I typically do not do. Um, I, I love to preach through a topical series uh, that I've developed myself or, or through a book of the Bible, but there's a book uh, that a, an, a, a Southern Baptist Christian author, pastor, professor now just radical about helping churches be revived. His name is Tom Rayner. He wrote a book called I Am a Church Member. And uh, so we're doing a six-week series in Life Connection Groups uh, and then also in our worship time together uh, where we are looking at what it means to be a church member from Scripture. Last week, we looked specifically at the, the, the issue of what it means to be a functioning member of the body. And it was so cool to get your emails and text messages and phone calls from many of you responding, and I hope that you're responding uh, to uh, my proclamation of God's Word and not just to the preacher, and, uh, you know, desiring to have you find your place in the body, uh, not just recruiting you to come and serve in the ministry. We, we want you there. We want people to be functioning, but as a member of what Christ is doing, and, and so that's a key thing, and uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, there's so many roles, so many holes, so many things that we're doing in the church, but we want you to be where God wants you, not just where there's a need, and, and hopefully we're discerning the need in God's calling, and you're going to meet up in that place together. This week, though, we're going to talk about another subject um, in this series, I am a church member. Uh, just, just, just right off the bat, it says, I, the, the topic is, I will be a unifying church member. Uh, and we're going to look specifically at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. But it's not a very complicated topic. It's, it's not. None, none of this really is. Uh, especially, uh, and, and I want people to equate this too. I talked very specifically to our, to our youth this morning. Had a great group in there, and I think they responded well. 
Uh, but sometimes we try to compartmentalize our lives. Um, where, you know, when I'm in the church, uh, at my local church, I put on my church hat, but whenever I leave the building, I take off my church hat and put on, you know, my, my, my hat in the world. And, and I, you, you have to, as you look at Scripture like we did last week, the church is the body of Christ. The church is gathering together. There'll, find, there'll be a final gathering someday when we're in heaven together. And, uh, but, you know, I, I'm passionate about the local church. The things we do here we think are sacred or important because the gospel we share. But we have got to understand our role even outside of the building here. We don't gather because we have a building. We don't gather because we just have friendships. We don't gather because we have some common good things we want to do in the community. We gather because Jesus has called us to gather in his name. We gather because of his power, how it's changed us and how it's transformed us to be who he wants us to be. And so uh, finding that role is important. This morning we're going to talk about what it means to be a unifying church member. And before... You know, in preparation for this, I had a call this week that gave, it's a tremendous honor to me. It's one of the, the highest honors that I've ever received as just a young preacher boy. I had somebody call me, uh, not somebody, uh, the, uh, the DOM or the director of ministries for our association. If you're not familiar with how Baptists function, every Baptist church is autonomous, meaning we don't have any higher order over us telling us what to do. Baptists come together in our, in our business meetings and our committees, and we decide and discern God's will for each other. Churches can hire and fire pastors or make decisions without anybody over them, but we cooperate with other like-minded believers and churches to, to do mission work and community work, and we're a part of an association, we're a part of a state convention, we're a part of a national convention. Well, our association is called the Lake Ivy Baptist Association. It's a big geographical area made up of about 50 churches, but it's all the way up to Sweetwater, and we're on the far southern end of it. We're spread out. Uh, and there's a lot of small rural churches. Well, I had a call from Keith Simpson. If you've been here for three or four or five years, you've seen Keith here before, but he called and asked me if I would come and preach at the annual meeting, the, be the keynote speaker. And that, that was a, it's an honor for me, but I, the only reason I share that, I'm not trying to be braggadocious about this, because it, I feel the same way I felt whenever I... Uh, earned my bachelor's degree at Saul Ross State University, or whenever I finally finished my seminary degree, my master's of divinity at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, even whenever I was offered a, a couple times scholarships to do my, my doctoral work, which I never got to, but that honor belongs to my wife as much as I do because of how, how hard it is uh, to, to accomplish all these things together. Uh, you know, my wife's had to sacrifice. She's had to, uh, you know, we've had to, you know, set things aside and, and discern God's will for ourselves. And, and, and to, it's just a huge honor that we were able to accomplish some of these things. But for me to be extended this honor, to go and to try to encourage churches that are struggling, that honor is not, is not mine, okay? That, that honor is ours as a church, the only reason that I'm being included in that is because of your obedience and your response, church, to what God has called us to do. And, and, and that, that is so very important. And how, how amazing it's been to be a part of this journey over the last few years, um, you know, being the church and seeing God bless the church and grow the church, uh, to reach outside of these walls, to, these, to continue to be focused on God's Word and the mission, but knowing that, you know, if the methods don't compromise the mission, we can change. It's, it's been great because of the unity we've had in that mission. 
And, and you know, Dr. Rayner pointed out in the video we watched earlier in, in Life Connection uh, start time how the issue about the churches, and I, and I tried to share some statistics last week about the youngest adult generation in the church today, the millennial generation. And only 15, less than 15% of them are Christians. I mean, that, that should be a warning sign. And I wanted to sound the alarm as to why we need to be functioning plugged-in church members because of how dangerous the world is and how dangerous Christianity, it, it, in America at least, is in danger of being snuffed out. Okay, not, not by an almighty, powerful, you know, devil that wants to just destroy it. It's because of our anemic state. And Dr. Rayner made the, the point, it's, it's not the numbers. It's the fact that people are not working together, aren't focused together on being the church. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what it means to be united, not to be anemic and ineffective, so I just pray as we look at this that we will celebrate how God has done that here. And if you're new here, you haven't got to see the transformation. I hope you feel united in, in what we're doing here as a church. Uh, and I hope that's something you enjoy, but it's something we have to guard. And it's something we have to continually be intentional about as a church to be, to be the people that God has called us to be. So before we jump into it, let's pray one more time. We can never pray too much. Father... Lord God, I want to just say thank you, Father, for, Lord, enabling us, Father, to not live according to the flesh and what this world says. But, God, you've given us your spirit. Father God, Lord, you've given us the ability, Father, to truly love people and to know what love is because we are loved by you. Therefore, God, you've also let us know what real peace is. Father, peace can be experienced in the midst of trial. Peace can be experienced in the midst of chaos and conflict if we are at peace with you, Father. And Lord God, because of that, Lord, there is no reason, Lord, that we should never be at, not at peace with one another, especially in the church. Father, Lord, help us to focus on that and to be united. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So if you'll focus in, in your own copy of God's Word, or we'll have it up on the screen, um, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, if you'll follow along with me. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, of the Lord urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to make the unity of the Spirit, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Very simple, uh, poignant uh, scripture there. But I, I want you to just pay close attention to one thing there specifically. Look at the bottom of the, the end of that verse. Uh, it says, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I want to just highlight that issue of peace because uh, we're going to look at a text a little bit talking about specifically about love. Uh, but we have to understand what unity looks like. Unity looks like something that is good, something that is enjoyable. And that word peace defines that. There's not wrath. There's not conflict. Um, and as I was praying about this, I was thinking about what, you know, what unity looks like in the church, I think, is, is, is mirrored what unity needs to look like in the Christian home. Uh, 
the, the way Jesus talks and describes, and also Paul too, oftentimes these two things are mirroring each other how it should look um, in the church and in the home. But, you know, just imagine uh, in a home, um, I, I, me and Rachel and I have been married for 17 years. Uh, is it se- it's 17. Okay, I have to double check. So 17 years going on 18. We have not always been at peace in the home. But there's two, I think there's two components that, that have helped us. It has to do with us focusing on the main thing God has called us to focus on and not being divided. But, but just take, for instance, in your home, maybe the, the man is focused on specifically wanting to, to work hard, to provide for his family, to save money, uh, you know, to take good vacations, to prepare for retirement, to, uh, you know, to, to, to be able to, you know, take care of the kids. And he, but he just is focused on that lasered focus. And sometimes things take a back seat because of that, you know, and men, men can become workaholics, you know, I, and I, I know that as a man, I, sometimes I, oftentimes I take on more than what I should do and I'm always busy working and I, I inherit that. My dad did the same thing until he physically couldn't do it anymore. But that, that, that's, but men do that, but, but say you've got a wife and, and she knows those things are important, but, but she is consistently thinking, you know what, we don't need to spend so much time working. We don't need to spend so much time away from the home. We need to spend time with the kids, nurturing them and loving them and building that relationship and, and spending time on us. And, but, but, but oftentimes division and, and, and arguments kind of work into it, even though those are two really good things that should be focused on because the mission is not first. Okay, And for me in my home, we understand that together, we understand that our lives on this earth are set aside for a specific purpose, and that's to be used for the Lord. Now, me and Rachel, we're called to ministry, but as Christians, we understand we all have a, a dynamic call specifically to live for King Jesus, and, and providing and working hard and taking care of the home, th- those are things that, are, that, that, that can mutually exist together, as long as we focus on the most important thing. Now, church, we have determined as a church what our mission is. Our mission, it's always in the front of the, of the bulletin here. It says, worshiping the living God, the First Baptist Church of Mason is committed to loving others, winning the lost, and maturing disciples in the name of Christ. And if we understand, though, we have different calls, we have different responsibilities, we have other focus uh, that we do in the church, we have other relationships that we find to be valuable, as long as we understand why we're here, what the main thing is, we can be at peace with each other. But the problem is whenever we lose focus of the big picture, and we just want to focus on what we want to focus on, and we lose focus of what God has called us to do together, when that happens, there's not peace. There's argument. There's strife. And it's something that we have to guard against dearly and specifically. So the, the first point I want to make, um, as far as my sermon topic goes, it, Jesus says in, in John chapter 13, verse 25, the scripture uh, says, Jesus says specifically, the world will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. If you do not love one another, there will be no peace. Uh, and when we talk about love, I ask the kids about this, the students, the teenagers, and of course the first thing they talk about is, you know, is girlfriend, boyfriend stuff, you know, you know, husbands and wives, 
or we talked, you know, we took a poll, raise your hand if you love Coca-Cola better than, uh, you love Coca-Cola more than Dr. Pepper. By the way, Dr. Pepper won in the youth room, hands down. But we know what love is, right? Jesus says love, there's no greater love than this than to lay down your life for another. Giving other people preference, giving other people uh, what they need by sacrificing what you think you need. Jesus says, the world's going to know that you're my disciple. The world's going to know you're part of my church if you love one another. But you know what else? The the opposite is also true. You're either going to be known as a disciple of Jesus because you love each other, or you're going to be known as people that, that don't love each other. You know, just think about that. You know, I mean, Jesus said that you know, people are going to know you as my disciples if you love. But if you don't love, they're going to know that you lack love. Now think about that, Christians. How, do, how does the world know you? Know, I, I, think, I, don't, I think it's black and white here. I don't think there's a, there's a gray area about this. Sometimes, you know, some people are just black and white, and some people kind of live in the gray areas. But I want you to know, Christian, God, God has no room for that, especially when it comes to this issue. You have got to understand that there has got to be a preference for one another. It doesn't matter if you dislike somebody, okay? In fact, one of the, one of the students described love as like you like somebody. Well, you know what? I know sometimes some of you have not liked me, Okay? <laughs> But I'm still a part of the body of Christ, and we still have to like each other. In fact, I asked you to raise your hand last week if there's been people in the church, in this church, that you haven't agreed with or gotten along with. And there were a lot more hands that went up than I thought they would. I thought we'd at least get a Sunday school answer, you know. But no, y'all were real, and I love that. But guys, we have got to show love to one another, no matter what. How you treat others in public and private reveals who you really are. The next point, though, if we think that is true, we know that peace is important, love needs to define who we are, then the next point is this. Gossip and negative talk are examples of the unsaved, not of God's people. So I want to say this as emphatically as I can, Christian. Stop gossiping. We're going to talk about what gossip means, but I just want you to just, to, just, just, just know, and I probably don't have to define it for you, okay? If you're wondering if you're a gossip because of how you talk about other people to other people, there's a pretty good chance you're a gossip, okay? And it's something that should have no place in the church of Jesus Christ. I've talked about the fact that uh, in the past about, you know, bigotry and racism and, and misogynism should have no place in the, in, the, in the church of Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? Neither should this. Talking bad about other people. And, 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 and I mean, I guess here, here's the way I gauge gossip, okay? Um, sometimes... Um, there's conversations that we have because we're concerned about one another in the church or about situations and we want to help people. If the motivation of your heart is to try to step in and restore and help and see someone grow in their faith, it's not gossip, okay? But if you're talking about somebody because uh, it's, um, it, it's interesting or it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that will get the other person's attention and you kind of enjoy, you know, making yourself feel better at somebody else's expense. You know what gossip is. But you know what the Word of God says about gossip? 
I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. First off, in Romans chapter 1, verse 29 and 31, it says, by the way, this text right here in Romans 1 is describing what the world looks like that's abandoned God. This is what the unrighteous, what the ungodly look like. It says in the text, they are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Well, Paul does not hold any punches about people that are godless. But whenever we take pleasure and joy, and as we were talking about with the youth, and I described what, what, what gossip was, basically what arguing with each other looks like, talking bad about your friends, every one of those students raised their hand and said, you know what, I, I do that. Every one of them. We are to be known as the people of God on the earth. And this is what the tongue does whenever we let it just rule and do whatever it wants to do or whatever we want it to do in our heart. It says in James 3, 6, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a, word, a world of unrighteousness is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and it's itself set on fire by hell. That's what is accomplished when we talk bad about other people. And guys, we, we, should, we should have such a focus on being the church of Jesus Christ. We should have such an intentionality of our lives that we want to at least make God famous or at the very least share the gospel with the, with the lost that we should not have time to indulge our flesh by talking bad about people. And if it ever happens, we need to lovingly rebuke each other if that's going on. I'm going to tell you a way to do it, and I'm going to tell you a way not to do it, okay? Uh, whenever I was, uh, like, I think I was 20 years old, a church made a very brave decision. They called me as the youth pastor, okay? It, was, it had one time been a very big church uh, with a lot of staff, and, and some things had changed, and they didn't have a lot of money, so I was like the cheapest alternative, okay? And, I, and I, I, wanted to, you know, I wanted to charge the gates of hell with a water pistol. I was ready to rock, you know? Me and Rachel together. And, and uh, I was not prepared very well, uh, but it's okay. God wants you to be obedient to his call. And I'm so grateful that I stepped into that. But I remember, I, I mean, I loved those kids fiercely. Whenever I was actually called and licensed as a minister, they told me I could go to any business meeting or any uh, committee meeting. I could go to any uh, deacons meeting I wanted to, and they wanted me to come and to participate. And I remember standing in a meeting and hearing the deacons talk for, argue for 30 minutes about, uh, you know, the message on the voicemail in the church office. And they asked me my opinion, and they they never asked my opinion in a business meeting, in a, in a deacon's meeting ever again. But I remember on a Wednesday night, I would be you know, leaving, leaving on Wednesday night after I'd been with all these kids, and the choir and praise team, they would be finishing at the same time, okay? Uh, and I remember there were two women. Every Wednesday night, they would be in the same place in the parking lot, standing outside, just, just, this, 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 and this, and this. And I remember finally I saw it, and I'd heard them like in, in the building gossiping and talking about the, it's usually a lot of times about the pastor, uh, a lot of times. In fact, it was, it was I'm so glad God protected me because I, I was reaching a lot of students, and so they wanted to prop up the youth pastor and the youth ministry, and they were just always dogging everything else. 
But, I mean, it was divisive. It was easy to see. And I, and I had heard it, but I remember driving to the parking lot one night, and I stuck my head out the window of my car and said, Hey, ladies, who are you gossiping about tonight? Well, guess what? <laughs> they included me in the gossip after that. They didn't like me anymore, okay? And I shamed them. I embarrassed them. That's the wrong way to do it, okay? But, guys, whenever we witness gossiping, Okay, whenever we see it happening, we've got to lovingly rebuke people. But here's this too. Whenever we are gossiping, we need to be willing and, 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 and able and prepared to be rebuked, I, including me as your pastor. If you hear me and you think that I'm gossiping, you call me on it because I do not want to be used by the devil as the flames of hell licking through my tongue to swipe and knock people out. And that's what happens when we do it. Stop it. Please. And I'm not talking about any of you in particular. I have not heard anybody gossip lately. So if you, if you just got ticked off at me, guess what? That wasn't me, okay? That was the Holy Spirit. Stop gossiping. That's such a, that's such a divisive thing. And I, and I see it and I witness it in churches. I've seen it many, many times. The last thing I want to mention, point three, is what, what is the response to all this? How do we stay united in, in peace. Um, forgiveness and unity bonds us together in peace. Uh, I'm, I'm really just regurgitating and repeating a lot about what, uh, from what, what Dr. Rayner said earlier, but um, this is really important. He, he quoted Matthew 6, 14 to 15. I'm going to quote it right now. It says, For if you forgive others their offenses, your Heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Heavenly Father will not forgive your offenses. And he said, somebody asked him one time, well, what does that text mean? Well, here's what it means, is what he said. If you don't forgive people, God won't forgive you. (laughs) It's exactly what the text says. And guys, if we walk around and we forget that this text, what Jesus just said, does not mean you you have to sit around and wait until somebody comes and says that they're sorry. Because guess what, okay? Now, I entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ whenever I recognized my sin has separated me from, from God. And I did have to come and, and, and call out for forgiveness and ask for that. And he has been gracious to forgive it. But you know what? Whenever he forgave me, he let me off the hook for the, the, for the sin I've committed in the past, the present, and into eternity. I love that picture. But there's still a mystery here as Jesus talks about what it means to, f- to follow him. We have to continue in that relationship. It does, it's not just fire insurance. It's not just get out of the hell free card. I mean, there's too many parables that Jesus says. Some of you are going to show up and, and he's going to say, I never knew you depart from me. We have to consistently persist in our relationship. And guys, that means though, whenever I sin... God's forgiveness has still been extended to me, and he's let me off the hook, and I still have to come back to him. But guys, you know what? I'm so, I don't understand this mystery, but God has forgiven me. Even now, in this state, I know, raise your hand if you had a perfect week and you did not sin this week. Anybody make it? Oh, I didn't make it. God still let me off the hook. Now, if God has let you off the hook, if you have a relationship with him, and he's got a plan for your life no matter how much you've fallen short because of you following Christ completely. (laughs) 
and, and you've, you've, you've given him your life, you've led yourself over, and you know you're in process, if he is still forgiving you, how is it that any of us can hold sin against somebody else? How is it that any of us cannot persist in that grace God's given us and, and extend it to other people? If you're sitting around holding on to something that someone's done against you or offended you somehow or something's happened to you, if you're waiting around for them to come and to ask for forgiveness, you're not being obedient to what this word here says. You are to let them off the hook. doesn't mean you have to put yourself in a situation again to be hurt again. It doesn't mean you have to, you know, be in an unhealthy relationship. But you cannot hold things against people. Your, your life should be so radically focused on what God is doing in your life and the new purpose he's given you to be a part of this body, to be focused on living for the king and for his purposes that you're, you're going to lovingly let these things go. But we have to forgive each other. We have to forgive each other. And sometimes that means you need to forgive them in your heart and you need to step out and let them know that they're forgiven. You know, has, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, um, but I've had people come up to me before and say, you know what, Ryan, um, you know, such and such a time and such and such a place, you know, you said something, you did something, and I've just been holding that on, holding on to that, and I just, I just want you to know that I love you, and I, I don't want to, I don't, I, I, I've forgiven you. That's happened about three times in my life. You know, every time that's happened to me, and I didn't even know I'd done anything to, for, to offend somebody. So guys, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, you're not getting payback on anybody. You're just beating yourself up. Guys, we've got to live a life that forgives. I think it's important. The last, the last, the last point I want to make, and we're fixing to close. Unity will not happen in the body of Christ, unity will not happen in our homes. Unity will not happen in any part of what God wants for us until we forgive. In Colossians chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 12 to 13, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has given, forgiven you, so you also are to forgive others. It's, just, it's, it's pretty simple right there, guys. We have got to forgive. We have to understand how important it is to have peace, to be focused on the most important things. You have to be willing to let priorities take a back seat as long as God is, prim is, is primal in your relationships, especially in the church, sharing the gospel, living according to his word, allow your agendas to die for the sake of peace. You also have to understand that your words, the things that you say about other people, if they're not to advance the mission and to love other people, that it is as though Satan is using you to do his work. You have got to let that go and seek forgiveness and forgive others. Guys, if there's anything great that you've enjoyed as being a part of First Baptist Church, as a guest or a visitor as, or as a faithful church member, it's only because of the peace and the unity that we have experienced here. I can remember a couple of important points in the history of our church since I've been here. It could have gone either way. And our leadership or our deacons have said, you know what? This is what we're going to focus on. 
We're not going to hold anything against anybody else, but we're going to focus on this. I can remember some important times in my marriage when my wife had every right to just give me all that she had and give me wrath, but she gave me grace. And she says, no, we have to focus on the mission of our family that God has given us. Guys, let us be united in the gospel. Let us be united because if we aren't, the church is done in Mason, Texas. The church is done in this country. It might not take um, a generation for us to see it. I don't know that we're in, but it, it'll, it'll be done. We have to be the people and be obedient to the word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm grateful for the privilege it is mine, Lord, to be your child. Father, I'm grateful, Father, to, Lord, just to be a recipient of your love and your grace. Father, I ask, Lord, that, Father, if, if I have offended somebody with my words or my actions, Lord God, would you use me, Father, to be a peacemaker? Lord, would you not allow me to hold anything over anyone? Father God, would you please, Lord, tame my tongue. Holy Spirit, speak into my life and change me. Father, I know that all this is, Father, that's, that's well within my grasp because of the relationship I have with you, King Jesus. Father, there's those that are here this morning, Father, Lord, that, that understand exactly what I'm talking about because their life is not defined by peace. The world does not know them as your disciples because, Lord, sometimes we lack love. Father, would you please do work in our hearts to make us who you've called us to be. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. The last, the last pledge that, that Tom Rader wants us to make, or the, not the last pledge, the last thing, he wants us to consider this as a church. He says, I am a church member. I will seek to be a source of unity in my church. I know there are no perfect pastors or other church members, but neither am I. I will not be a source of gossip or dissension. One of the greatest contributions I can make is to do all I can in God's power to help keep the church in unity for the sake of the gospel. The last point is what it's for, the gospel. The gospel is this. That's why we're here, every one of us. If, if you're a guest, know that's who we are, what we're here. The, the gospel, there's good news for anybody. If you are not at peace in this world, if you are a sinner separated from God, God has made a way for you to have eternal life. God has made a way for you to be at peace with everybody, to put the circumstances of struggle in your life to rest. If you need help putting it to rest, I want to tell you, there's good news. God wants to forgive you of your sin. We're going to have the hymn of invitation. If God has called you, that told you you need to respond to the gospel, if God has told you you need to forgive somebody in your heart, if God's told you there needs to be tangible action happen after this worship service, man, would you have it? Would you respond to God's call this morning? Let's stand on our feet. Morgan and the praise team will lead us. If God's called you to respond somehow, you do it now. Be thou my way.
Father God, we just want to say thank you, Lord, as that song was sung, Father, Lord, the victory that is won, Father. Lord God, I pray that as we live, Lord, this week for you, God, Lord, there would be no victory, Lord, that you would not have in our lives, Father, if it needs to happen. God, I pray, Lord, that, Father, we would consider, Father, Lord, the outcome, um, Lord, of, of Lord, what we speak. Father God, let us consider, consider, Lord, the amount of love and grace you have shown us, Lord, Lord, may our, our love and our, and, our, and our actions and how we talk to each other, God, be a reflection of the amount of love and grace you've extended to each of us. And Father, I pray, Lord, that as we live as members of your body or maybe individual specific members of this church, God, Father, I pray, Lord, we would show the world, Lord, who you are in us here at this church as we love each other. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Morgan, lead us out. We're dismissed.